And Spirit-Filled Church is obviously a church with Spirit-Filled people. Um, You know, when I think of all the passages in the Bible, in particular the New Testament, but, but certainly there's Old Testament passages as well foretelling the outpouring of the Spirit, um, there is perhaps no more expansive description of what it means to be filled with the Spirit than these verses. Of course, I'm partial because I'm teaching on them today. But I think the words, the, dis- the way this is described in this passage is dumbfounding. It is, it is beyond what we can imagine. There are some places in Scripture, perhaps many, where we aren't sufficiently stunned by what is being said or described to us. And I'm not sure if it's because we become accustomed to hyperbole and exaggerated speech, or if some of these passages just sound like highfalutin spiritual talk, and we're not sure exactly what to do with it. This is one of those texts, right? This passage, and many others like it, but this passage we're going to look at this morning grabs us by the collar and shakes us with the expansive, glorious words that are are used to describe what being filled with the Spirit is. It's not some small, domesticated, little, unnoticeable thing. It's something big. It's it's paradigm-shifting. It gives us new categories and new capacities. The words of our text are so big and so wonderful that we might wonder whether or not, when we sit and think about it, whether or not this is true. And I'm here to tell you the very best news in all the world is not too good to be true. It is so good and it is true. So, this, these six verses are an inspired prayer. And three weeks ago I, I taught on another inspired prayer. It's the, the words of the Lord Jesus in John 17 where Jesus prayed for his disciples that were with him then, as well as every disciple of Christ who would believe in him after. So that includes us. And he prayed, Father, sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And I said, guys, this is a God-sanctioned prayer. This is one we can take and copy and just repeat. And I said, would you pray this for me and for each other and for us as a church? This is another one. This is an inspired prayer. The Apostle Paul is is inspired by the Holy Spirit to write these words in the Scriptures like all of the Bible is. This is an inspired prayer. And so you and I have permission to pray this prayer and expect that God hears and have confidence that God will answer in His mercy. Here's what this passage says. That a Spirit-filled church is a church full of of the love of Christ. A spirit-filled church is a church, may I put it this way, full of people filled with the love of Christ or full of the love of Christ. This prayer has th- it's a threefold there are three petitions, three requests that each builds upon the previous. So the first request Paul prays and then the second builds upon the first and then the third builds upon the first and the second. And the requests are, that goes as follows. The first is that you would receive deep inner strength by the Spirit. The second request is that you would experience the incomprehensible love of Christ together. And the third is that you would be filled with all of God's fullness. 
Let me say those again. That you would receive deep inner strength by the Spirit. That's the first request. The second is that you would experience the incomprehensible love of Christ in community or together. And the third is that you would be filled with all of God's fullness. And again, they build. Uh, Paul is going somewhere with these requests in this prayer. So let's look at these one at a time. The first request that you would be given deep inner strength through the Holy Spirit. Verse 16 says, Paul prays that the Father, he bows before the Father, he bows before God the Father, and he prays, Father, may, you, may, may the Father grant you to be strengthened with power through his Spirit in your inner being. Strengthened with power, Paul prays. Not just any power, though. It's God's power. It is through or by means of the Holy Spirit. And remember, the Holy Spirit is not like the JV team of God, right? We believe in the Trinity, that there is one God, three persons. They are co-eternal, co-equal in their power. And so God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, there is there's authority structure, there's, there's submission in the Godhead, yes. But God the Holy Spirit is fully God. And so when Paul prays that we would be strengthened with power through the Spirit, he's praying that we would be strengthened with God's mighty power. The Holy Spirit, Paul prays, would strengthen us with great power. And notice where we need this strength. We need it deep within, in our inner being, deep in our hearts, at the deepest level. Paul doesn't pray for physical strength. We need more than that. We need something greater than physical brawn. We need something greater than Herculean strength. That won't cut it for what God wants to give us. So he prays for strength at the heart level for what God wants to give. And notice why we need strength. The purpose for this deep inner empowering through the Spirit is seen in verse 17. Notice the word so that. Remember, Paul's making an argument here. He wants us to understand what he's saying here. So he says, Father, may you grant them strength by your Spirit to be uh, uh, grant them to be empowered by, your, by the Spirit's strength deep within so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. It is so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. Apparently, you and I cannot handle the risen Christ dwelling within on our own. We need God's power and God's strength so that Christ can dwell inside of us so that God so that Christ can dwell in our hearts through faith we need deep inner strengthening Jesus is not some little insignificant God we can fit in our back pocket and put in a corner of our heart Jesus is the risen sovereign glorious victorious Lord over everything and we need strength in order to handle him coming and making his home inside of us When Jesus wants to bring a new sense of how wonderful he is and how real he is beyond anything in this world, our tiny little hearts need strength. And that's what he wants to do today. Ray Ortland, a pastor and author, had a great analogy. He says this. Picture it this way. If I drop a piece of white hot nuclear fuel 
in a paper bag. That paper bag needs to be strengthened to hold the fuel. You and I are the paper bag. Christ is the white, hot, nuclear fuel. We need to be strengthened in our hearts by the power of the Spirit so Christ can dwell within us. The second request that Paul prays is that you would experience the incomprehensible love of Christ together in community, not isolated on your own, but together. So here's what verses 17, the second part of verse 17 through the first part of verse 19 says. Let me read it again. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all of the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. If I were to ask you, do you know the love of Christ? I could understand if you get this verse by the way you respond. If you're like, yeah, yeah, I already know that. Oh, no, no, no. That surpasses knowledge. That's incomprehensible. Do you know the love of Christ in that way? Where it stuns you? The love of Christ, this expansive love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. I'm getting ahead of myself. So Paul prays, Paul prays for strength again. First, he prays for strength that we would have the power of the Spirit to handle the indwelling Christ. This time, he prays for strength, get this, to comprehend. Strength to comprehend the love of Jesus Christ or to know Christ's love, which is beyond us fully knowing. Paul prays that we would comprehend the incomprehensible and know that which completely surpasses knowledge. So clearly for Paul, this is to, to encounter the mighty love of Christ is not some mindless thing where we just sit there and something happens to us completely passive. Okay? It includes our comprehending, our knowing, our thinking, our engaging our minds and hearts with Christ. But it's equally clear that Paul is talking about something that takes us beyond what we can just think about in our brains. And what we have the capacities in our tiny little hearts to conceive of and encounter. This experience takes us beyond our capacities of comprehending. Paul prays for comprehension of the breadth and length and height and depth of the love of Christ. Now, because it's beyond comprehension or beyond our ability to know that these measurements or dimensions are immeasurable because it surpasses knowledge. Let's just do a little exercise here, okay? The Milky, Luke can correct me if I'm wrong in any of these facts because he is our resident um, astro- astronomer here. I was going to say astrologer. Astronomer, okay? <laughs> Big difference, okay? Astronomer. All right. Um, the Milky Way is 100,000 light years wide, okay? I'm, I'm on track so far, okay? One light year, 5.9 trillion miles give or take, okay? Scientists 
can measure that. The breadth of the love of Christ is beyond our ability to measure. It is so vast, it is so big, it is beyond us getting to the end of or reaching the the ends of the breadth and width of the love of Jesus Christ. The love of Christ is immeasurable. But Paul wants us to know it. Paul wants us to know. He wants us to comprehend it. What is not fully comprehensible? Comprehensible. Now I said that this is to be experienced in community. Paul prays that we would experience this together. Of course we, we were to experience it our, ourselves, me individually, but then together corporately in, in a community. And I see that because Paul says that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints. With all the saints. Now Paul might have had in mind comprehending with all the saints in the entire world at every stage in human history, you know, every Christian that's ever lived. That might be part of what he meant, but certainly he at least meant you, people of Ephesus, the people he's writing to at this time, you with all the saints gathered together that you may come to grips with the breadth and height and depth and width of the love of Christ. This is not something that is to be experienced mostly in isolation. No hermit Christian Thing going on. This is something that's to be encountered, experienced together. The third request, remember these are building, right? So the second built upon the first. The first was that we would be strengthened deep within by the power of the Spirit. The second is that we would experience the massive, incomprehensible love of Christ. And the third request, and of course, this is, this is the result of being filled with the love of Christ, is that you would be filled with all the fullness of God. Verse 19, it's the last phrase of our text, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. How can this even be described? How, I mean, how being filled with God sounds amazing. Right? Being filled with the fullness of God sounds stupendous beyond words. Being filled with all the fullness of God takes us way beyond what we can even imagine. To be filled with the love of Christ so full that Paul would say, Paul prays and would say that you are filled with all the fullness of God. Here's one thing we can say. If you are filled with the fullness of God like this, if you are so full of the love of Christ, come what may, calamity or prosperity, you are ready for it. Right? You filled with the love of Christ, you are ready for whatever comes your way. Now, again, these three prayers build upon each other, but what seems, at least in my thinking, to be central is this idea of comprehending the incomprehensible love of Christ. 
It is why I think Paul prays that we, need, that we be strengthened with the Spirit's power. And I think it's what results in us being filled with all the fullness of God. And so what I want to do with the Spirit's help is to heap upon you grenade after grenade of the love of Christ. Praying, as Paul prayed, that you and I would have strength to comprehend. So that the result would be, when we're done, you are filled with all the fullness of God. I think Paul means for us, or intended for his readers, to think about these dimensions of breadth and length and height and depth. He could have just used one word. He could have just said, I pray that you would have strength to comprehend how great God's love, or how great Christ's love is, or how enormous it is, or how powerful it is, or how amazing it is, or any other adjective. But he says, I want you to comprehend the breadth and the length and the height and the depth of the love of Christ. And so I want to just take a bit of time and consider these together. First, the love of Christ is boundless in its breadth. It is boundless in its breadth. I think you and I, I know I need to be very careful. I don't think of Christ's love as narrow and restrictive, barely touching anyone. Maybe someone, if they get close enough, right, to this tiny little stream or something, but it is boundless and free. Listen to what Charles Spurgeon said. He said, I know a certain school of Christians who have need to study this point, for they have a very narrow idea of the Lord's loving kindness. They conceive of divine love as a narrow, very narrow stream. They have never seen it to be a mighty, flowing, abounding, and rejoicing river, as it is. The love of Jesus Christ does not surround our favored island alone, but like the ocean, it washes upon every shore. The love of Jesus Christ has been extended to kings upon their thrones, but with equal and more frequent bounty to slaves in their dungeons. I like Spurgeon. (laughs) He just has a great way of... Oh, man, that's good. The love of Christ, brothers and sisters, is immense and generous in its breadth. Last Sunday night, I went to... uh, Bethel Mission, I preached the story in Luke chapter 7 of Jesus being invited by a Pharisee into his home. The Pharisee's name was Simon. And so Jesus comes to this man's home, and this woman hears that Jesus is there. And the woman's described this way. It says that she was a woman of the city who was a sinner. No doubt she was a prostitute or involved in prostitution. And apparently her prostitution had gone, had gone around town. She was a woman of the city. She was... Her sin was famous. And she heard Christ was there. And she made a beeline for this house, a Pharisee's house. She had no business being there. But she heard Jesus was there. Right? She heard Christ was there. And she's sitting at the feet of Jesus. She's weeping. She's wetting his feet with her tears. And she's taking her long hair and wiping his feet with her hair. I don't know about you, but I'm just like, if I would have been there, I would have been like, that's a little uncomfortable. Can you, like, you know... Do that somewhere else. 
Jesus didn't think it was uncomfortable. Simon did, the Pharisee. Shows me where my heart can be sometimes, right? And Simon said, if, if, he, if, if this Jesus was truly a prophet, he would know who this woman was, what sort of woman she was, and he would say, you cannot do this anymore. And Jesus, knowing what she thought, told this great story about a, a moneylender who, who had two debtors to him, one owed 500, one owed 50, and he canceled the debt of both of them. And the point is this. He turned to the woman and said, your sins are forgiven. Your sins are forgiven. After I shared this with the men down at Bethel, I had one guy come up, and, um, and we spent a lot of time talking after some of the other guys cleared out. And he, he, he told me a little bit about his life, and he said, listen, I have been, he was a, he was a, a bouncer at a, at a, at a stripper, strip joint, I guess, whatever, and he said, hey, listen, when you're big and strong, you do certain kinds of jobs. I said, okay, well, you don't have to anymore. You trust in Christ. Your sins are forgiven. Now, this very moment, forever, they're gone. As far as the east is from the west, how wide is that? It's infinitely wide. That's how wide the love of Christ is. Now, we read about the story of this woman, right, in, in Luke chapter 7. And, and, and it seems, if we're not careful, we can put people like that in certain categories. And, of course, we want Jesus to forgive them, but they're in certain categories. Listen, that's my story. That's your story, too. Romans 5 says that it was while we were sinners, Christ died for us. How broad is the love of Jesus? It is expansive. It is boundless and free. It goes on and says, even while we were enemies of God, we're like, okay, well, when I was a sinner, of course, no one's perfect. No, no. While we were enemies of God, Jesus reconciled us to him. So, are you a Christian? If you are, Praise God. You are because Christ loved you when you were an enemy of his. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9 says, You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Just, just picture just the boundless grace of Jesus, the boundless love of Christ. You know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor so that you, by his poverty, might become rich. The love of Christ is vast, unmeasured, boundless, and free. It is an ocean vast of blessing. But it's also long. The love of Christ is not only boundless in its breadth, but it's also all-forgiving in its length. The word length used here in Ephesians 3 is the Greek word makos. It's, it's akin to the word megas, where we get our word mega, as in like megaton. Do you know how much, how much a megaton is in explosives? I didn't know this until I looked it up. I think... A million tons of TNT? 
quite a bit. The love of Christ is mega, surpassing our worst, most inexcusable sins. And you don't have to look at anyone else. You can say, my worst, most inexcusable sins. Jesus said in John 15, 13, greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. Greater love has no one than this. You, there is no greater demonstration of love than to lay one's life down for their friends. And of course, Jesus was telling this to his disciples, but he, this was on the eve of his crucifixion. He was, it was a precursor to what he was just about to do. And we should never think that for Jesus to die on a cross was a walk in the park. It was far from it. Remember the, the Garden of Gethsemane the night before Jesus was crucified? Jesus is in the garden. He's on his knees praying to the Father. He knows what's coming the next day. He prays, Father, if there's any way this cup can pass for me, Please, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. He knew what was coming. It says in in Luke's account of the Garden of Gethsemane scene that Jesus was in such anguish that he was sweating drops of blood. The Son of God was sweating drops of blood. He was not in anguish to that degree because of the physical pain of crucifixion, which was excruciating, the most horrific way to torture and kill a person. But that's not why Jesus was sweating drops of blood. That's not why he was agonizing as he was. And it also wasn't because of the humiliation of being stripped naked and hanging on a tree before a crowd. It wasn't because he was rejected by all the people. It wasn't because even his own followers had abandoned him or would abandon him. Jesus knew the cup that he must drink was the cup of God's righteous judgment against our sin. Jesus never sinned. It wasn't his sin that he was drinking the cup for. It was our sin. And he drank it all the way to the bottom. Jesus was tempted in the garden and he passed the test. And he went to the cross. Psalm 103. Says, God does not deal with us according to our sins. Isn't that amazing? Nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. Parents, what lengths would you go to to rescue a four-year-old son or daughter. You would do whatever you had to do. You know that old classic soul song, Ain't No Mountain High, Ain't No Valley Low. You guys know that song? I'm not sure the name of it. Um, But it says, Ain't No Mountain High, Ain't No Valley Low, Ain't No River Wide Enough to Keep Me From Getting to You. It's a nice sentiment, right? But let's face it, we are full of limitations. 
I, I could imagine my son being in a situation where I, I couldn't do anything for him. If he was on top of Mount Everest and I had to get up there in an hour, I wouldn't be able to do anything for him. With Christ, there are no limitations. Christ overcame every barrier. Christ went to every length. He overcame every obstacle of our sin in his great love for us. His love is all forgiving in its length. But there's more. The love of Christ is eternal in its height. It lifts us from being slaves to sin to sons and daughters of God. It lifts us. But it reaches higher than that. In fact, the height of the love of Christ will not be seen fully until we are with the Lord forever. When in his mighty Love. I love what Ephesians 5 says. In Christ's mighty love, he will present us to himself in splendor without spot or blemish as his beautified, glorious bride. This will be the fulfillment of what Jesus prayed when he prayed to the Father in John 17. He says, Father, I desire that those you have given me may be with me. And if you belong to Christ, you can have absolute confidence that Christ in his love, he will keep you to the end. I love John 6 where it says, Father, this is the will of the Father, that I lose none that he has given me, but raise every single one of them up on the last day. You know what he's saying? That all that those who believe in me, I will not lose one of them. Christ in his massive, glorious love will not lose you or any who belong to him. At my dad's funeral five years ago, Luke and Alyssa played and sang, Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. And there's a line in the song that I love, but I've always, I've always a, a thought of it more in terms of the love of Christ lifts us now, right? When we're alive, it lifts, lifts us to, up to the heights of heaven and our emotions and our affections. And I think that's true, and maybe that's how the author intended it. But there's a line in that song, that day when they sang it, that hit me in a new way, and it's so, I'll never forget it. It's this. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus... And it lifts me up to glory, for it lifts me up to thee. The love of Christ is eternal in its height. It will lift us to glory. Make no mistake about it. It will lift us up into his presence someday. But it's also deep. The love of Christ is intense in its depth. How deep is the love of Christ? Can we measure it? We can't. It's deeper than your darkest secret. And it's deeper, brothers and sisters, than your worst and deepest pain. Corey Ten Boom um, and her sister Betsy 
You perhaps you've heard of Cory Ten Boom. Maybe you haven't heard of her sister. They were Christians who lived in Netherlands during World War II. Um, when when German, Nazi Germany occupied the Netherlands, they hid Jews in their home to protect them from the Nazis. Cory Ten Boom wrote a book called The Hiding Place, which chronicles the story of this room behind a wall in their house where they hid Nazi or hid the Jews that they helped. When they were discovered. Not only were the Jews taken to a concentration camp, but so were Corey and Betsy Ten Boom. And they spent the rest of the war there in the concentration camp. After watching one atrocity after another, perpetrated against the Jewish people, of course, but also perpetrated against anyone who stood against the Nazis who were there because they resisted the Nazis, Corey once told Betsy, this place is a pit of hell. And no doubt it was. I couldn't imagine. Betsy, though, replied to Corey, There is no pit so deep that Christ's love or that God's love is not deeper still. I think oftentimes that quote's uh, credited to Corey Tenboom. It's actually her sister that said it. And often, for many years after, Betsy recalled those words of Corey. Betsy Tenboom died in that concentration camp. Right? She died in that pit of hell, in that dark, deep pit of hell. And yet, Christ's love was deeper. And Corey always rem- remember those words, and you and I should as well. We should remember those words too. The love of Christ is deep. The moment you wonder if Jesus has abandoned you, he is loving you more. The depth of his love is underneath you, holding you up, keeping you from falling into the pit. We should remember the words of Romans 8. These words are so amazing. These words have got to get deep into our hearts. They can't just be a plaque on the wall. Paul says this, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? I think Paul could have gone on. I think he could have just kept listing things. He just was saying anything, the worst of things you can imagine. Can any of these separate, separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on and says, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. And then he says this, no, we are not. In all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. When the mighty, nuclear-powered love of Christ fills your heart, you are filled with all the fullness of God. And when this mighty love of Christ fills you, it can't stay just inside of you. 
It will spill out and over. And you will find yourself equipped to serve and love and bless others in his name. Without this love, without this fullness, we'll find ourselves always depleted of strength and energy to serve and love others. With it, we we find ourselves always overflowing to give what Christ has given us. D.O. Moody experienced what we're talking about here. It's really kind of an amazing account. Uh, D.O. Moody, he started Moody Bible College. He was a famous evangelist in the 19th century here in America. And here's his account of what happened. He said, one day in the city of New York, oh, what a day. I cannot describe it. I seldom refer to it It is almost too sacred an experience to name. I can only say that God revealed himself to me. And I had such an experience of his love that I had to ask him to stay his hand. Whoa. Another place where he goes into more detail about that, he says he had to ask him to stay his hand because he thought he was going to die. Remember the paper bag, the nuclear fuel? Wow. I had to ask him to stay his hand. Now listen to what happened after this. He said, I went, on, I went to preaching again after this, after this experience with Christ. The sermons were not different. I did not present any new truths. And yet, hundreds were converted. There was a new power. There was a new, well, the fullness of God. A new strength. He goes on to say, I would not now be placed back where I was before that blessed experience if you should give me the whole world. It would be small dust in the balance. Do you want to know the love of Christ in that way? I know that I do. I know that I do. Let's pray. Father, just as Paul prays, we need your help. We need your strength to by the power of your spirit to be able to handle the love of Christ or Christ dwelling in our hearts by faith. We need need your strength to be able to comprehend our brains, our, our emotional and intellectual capacities just aren't enough. We need your help to comprehend and know with all the saints what is ultimately incomprehensible and beyond knowledge. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Would you give us help right now, I pray, to comprehend the love of Christ? Would you help us 
I, I love reading this story, Father, of your servant, Dwight D.L. Moody, who had this great experience, but my heart is hungry, God, for to know this in my own life, for my brothers and sisters here to know this. For this is not something that we, that, that we just go home and kind of ponder on a little bit, and we certainly want to do that. But I pray that you would take us beyond where we've ever been in the love of Christ. Fill us to the fullness of God, to all the fullness of God in the love of Christ. Strengthen us by your Spirit so that we can handle Christ dwelling deep within our hearts, that we'd be rooted and grounded in love. Oh, the deep, deep love of Jesus. This boundless, unmeasured, vast, free ocean of blessing. I pray you would, you would pour it out upon us in your mercy, God, in your grace. Jesus, you have purchased this gift for us. This is a prayer that we are beckoned not only to hear once in a while, but to pray often. I pray that we would until this is ours. In Jesus' name, amen. The next two verses, now to him, it just keeps going. These massive words, like these, take us beyond ourselves. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus to all generations forever and ever and everyone said